Hi, I'm Mara Webster with In Creative Company, and I'm so thrilled today to be talking about the wonderful miniseries Stonehouse. We are joined today by actor and executive producer Matthew McFadden, along with cast members Kevin R. McNally and Emer Heatley. We are also joined by writer and executive producer John Preston and director and executive producer John S. Baird. And Matthew, I wanted to start with a question for you in terms of your approach to this character, because He's someone who, who by and large, was often described as being incredibly charismatic, and that's obviously what led to a lot of his ascension within the political world. And yet there's also this tipping point where, as he achieves more, it starts to tip over into this space of vanity and narcissism as well. And I was interested in, you know, from the way that he's often described, how you found a lot of the elements of charisma you wanted to bring into him, and then where you wanted to start to see the narcissism start to override a little bit of the charisma in certain ways. Um, that's sort of, uh, I'm, I'm not sure how much charisma I brought to the role. Um, and as far as the narcissism creeping in, that's sort of just a function of John's, John Preston, our brilliant writer, his skill at telling the story really and how it unfolds. And so you do, you know, he's he, but it's true to say that he, you know, he's a sort of, he's very plausible at the beginning. He's very, you know, he's, he's promising and, and very competent and good at his job and um very personable and charismatic and charismatic and then he you know the the more he progresses through the ranks of the labor party and um he sort of gets his head turned a bit by power and um you know success and then he starts moonlighting for the Czech secret service a little bit and that complicates things further and he's he has a, a sort of um quite a tangled love life. And so it sort of unravels. And that was the fun we had in telling our version of the story, I suppose. Absolutely. And and Kevin, it's really fascinating to watch you play someone who in essence is in one of the most powerful jobs in the world. And then to look at what does that look like emotionally for him as he starts to lose the power that he's attained through the party and everything for him is on the line. Um, and so I was interested in how you found that cross-section of someone who really has had very high ambitions for himself, a certain idea of what he wants to achieve politically, and then is watching the idea that all of this is starting to fracture around him because it's a really fascinating arc to see in your character and your performance. <clears throat> well, I mean, you know, all of that is there in uh, John's script. Um, but fortunately, because I've got a few years on my um, colleagues, um, I actually lived through that uh, period. And I was sort of, as a, <clears throat> as a, a rather young man, um, uh, fascinated by the workings of politics in my country. And to see <clears throat> that fresh uh, party come in in, in, the, in the 60s, you know, with, with the white heat of technology and, and the, the famous cry of um, 12 years of of Tory misrule, to see that to become a struggle merely to cling on to power um, is a very, a very sort of sad journey, really. And what I really liked uh, personally about the script, not being the leading character, even as a supporting character, um, I was given a lovely arc in terms of the man's own particular um, cognitive descent. And, and also he's um he's slide into cynicism and sort of hatred of of the world that he lived in really 
Absolutely. You know, and I think that's such a great point about the way that all of the supporting characters have been (laughs) written. And Emma, with your performance, we really see this woman who comes into this position. She's fairly new to politics and in professional world. And she's at such a, a crux in terms of the age she is when we first meet her. And so there is you know, a youngness to her, but also she really knows how to utilize it. She's very world experienced, it feels, even at such a young age. And so how did you work to really find those elements of where it, it feels okay to allow that youthfulness? Because she sometimes plays into it, particularly with Stonehouse and their flirtation and and trying to kind of pull him into her world and what, what it is that she wants. But then you also allow her to really go through this growth in, in developing a lot more autonomy over her own path and her own journey. Yeah, I think, um, as Kevin just said, I think it's all there in in John's script. Like, all of the characters have such a lovely arc and there's so much to play with. They're all very different people from when you first meet them to where they end up, um, which is always great as an actor. Um, And then with with John Baird on set, it was just such a, a fun thing to play with. Like, how much does she know at this point? Is she manipulating him? Uh, who really holds the power in that relationship and I think yeah she goes from quite a sort of ingenue like very innocent character to probably someone quite steely towards the end so that was (laughs) that was a fun journey to play for sure. Definitely and and John Preston in talking a little bit about the writing as well um, you know what's what's so wonderful in watching this character and watching John Stonehouse's story play out on screen is there's different ways in which it could have been approached and we don't necessarily have to believe that he's making the right choices, but we understand the pressure and and all of that impounding on him and, and why that creates certain responses that it does. And so what were some of the challenges that came in finding how to write a lot of the actions and figuring out what his motivations as a character were going to be in a way that the audience would really carry along for the journey and understand these decisions, even if from a moral standpoint, they're not necessarily in line with them. Well, I think in terms of the choices that he makes, I'm trying to think of one good choice that he made. Actually, they're all the wrong choices, really. And, and that's, you know, that's fun to work to write for because you've got someone who may start off by thinking that just conceivably they're doing the right thing. But then at should, you know, there should be a dawning pretty quickly where they realize that at least any kind of sane and sensible person would realize that they are, they've made a terrible misjudgment. But somehow Stonehouse never quite faces up to that. And he just kind of keeps, he has this kind of weird trajectory whereby he thinks, well, if I keep going, maybe it'll all come right in the end. But of course it doesn't, it just gets worse. Yeah. Definitely. And and John Baird, in in terms of how you wanted to frame John Stonehouse as a character, I was interested in how you thought about how you wanted to utilize the character to really connect audiences into his story. Because like everybody's been saying in, in talking about this character, there's so many different layers and complexities that you want to make sure to capture and, and really embellish in the way that you're filming him centrally as the main viewpoint of the story. Um, I think one of the things that we talked about near the beginning when Matthew was um was John Stonehouse is living in his own movie. Yeah. He he sees them he sees himself as this um you know he sees himself as a James Bond character. He as this as the spy you know a handler says you're the worst spy I've ever you know um met in my life you know but but he doesn't think that he obviously thinks that he's some sort of super sleuth or super superhero and uh and i think for to, to talk about a character like that 
that gives an actor a great start to you know to 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 say right what kind of how how much of the comedy we're going to push here you know and I think and I'm really glad we took that approach I'm really glad we took that comedic approach because it really helps with how absurd this man's behavior was you know and I think that um that was something that we that we talked about from from a very beginning and then from that the musical choices the costume design the makeup design and everything sort of comes from that central point of of how uh seriously this sort of larger than life very flawed character took himself but to the world was 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 kind of seen as a buffoon in a way um whether that's right or or, or not but but uh but yeah that that was that was a starting point for playing him as though he was in his own serious film yeah yeah. I mean, I think that's such a great point about the comedy. And and so Matthew wanted to ask you about how you approached that aspect of the scripts. I've heard you say that that was one of the things that also really drew you into this story when you first read the scripts at the beginning. But there's so much delicacy because it's not about your performance landing a punchline, but there is something inherently amusing about him standing on a not very tall drop and everything's crumbled in on him. And so he is potentially considering whether he wants to jump off of this. Um, but to him, it's incredibly real and so how did you find the the delicacy of what the comedic aspects of the script looked like for a character that is living all of these emotions in a very real way uh, again and it's a boring answer but it's the true answer it's just the, it's in the it's in the scripts in the writing you know it's just it's so deftly it was so deftly sort of plotted it's not you know you'd and like like any sort of comedy you play it completely straight so it is you know it is sort of very high stakes life and death for Stonehouse, but it's absurd. A lot of it is absurd. That's the that's the fun of it, I suppose. And and Matthew and Emma, you take the relationship dynamic between your two characters of the very first time that we meet them, he's interviewing her for a job position to, you know, a, a place where this becomes a real relationship for the two of them. And there's a lot of secrets that the two of them hold that nobody else is part of. And so there's this very different growth of what that intimacy looks like and even just little details early on before we've even really seen them in a relationship, but we see her fixing his tie. So there's all these little breadcrumbs and inklings. And so how did the two of you find what you wanted that growth of that intimacy to look like as they become more entrenched with one another from the beginning when they're first just meeting it's just good fun to plot wasn't it Emma? it was just like a you know there's so so many yeah. funny little you know like the 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 omelet eating and you know <laughs> yeah um, there's a lot of great set pieces <laughs> yeah but from the get-go it's you know Sheila does seem very She's not a sort. I mean, she is the ingenue, but she's she's quite switched on more than you'd think, you know. And she sort of knows what's going on, really. I suppose. Um, I don't know. In the trial, apparently, in the trial, John Preston will know more about this than me. But somebody said everyone was obsessed with Sheila, actually, because they were fascinated about this other woman who was there all the time, and you know, sort of mysterious. Um, yeah, for someone so young, like, I don't know, I found yeah, it strange playing there thinking like, yeah, and like, to think of doing that now at my age, I just, I, it's unthinkable, but she, she shouldered a lot of kind of stress and chaos and seemed to sort of cruise through wearing flawless outfits throughout. <laughs> and not explained, yeah. there was no sort of whining or whinging or, you know, 
there was nothing it was just, just yeah yeah really really like calm and collected it's quite incredible um and I think yeah we talked a lot with John about how they kind of find a sort of kindred spirit in one another I think they're both a bit sort of they're both kind of oddballs I guess and so it's a sort of quite like quirky love story which is really nice to play I love that, you know, and and John Preston of what Matthew was just saying about the way that everyone was so fascinated with Sheila. How did that inform a lot of the details and the aspects of how you ended up writing her based on the way that she would be described by people who witnessed her or saw her so much in that time period? Well, it, it fascinated me that the, the real Sheila had this kind of very beguiling air of innocence about her, but she was also extremely self-possessed, as Ema was saying. And she was only, what, 24 or something like that at the time? I can't remember. So she was considerably younger than Stonehouse. And, you know, she was basically found guilty at the trial. So there's no doubt that she was in on the whole scheme from the word go. And probably was, you know, may well have been as good, if not better than Stonehouse, at actually, you know, sorting out the nuts and bolts of it. So I think that's, that gives you two very kind of interesting polarities to play with where you've got this kind of ostensibly ingenuous air, but then there's plainly something else going on below the surface. Definitely. And 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 Kevin, and coming back to you and, and some of what you were talking about with, you know, having such an awareness of him as a politician growing up and, you know, you even played him, I think, in the Tom Hardy movie Legendary for a little bit as well. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you, you've also talked about how <laughs> growing up, he, you know, at school, even you would do impressions of him because that was the person leading the, the country at the time. And yes. so how did those aspects of, of having that familiarity give you a real foundation when you started to look at how you were going to embody him and and what your perspective was that you wanted to bring into this character. Well, that that really came from talking to uh, John, our director, at the beginning because I could see that there was absurdity, um, a sort of absurdist humour, um, but also real jeopardy. And so, in talking to John about what his take on it was, I could then know uh, how far I could go certainly with his decline, but also with, you know, the the, the moments of quite hysterical humour when he, he just can't believe what this man is doing. So that was, you know, you, you have the content <clears throat> from the writing and, and then what the director brings with each actor is, um, is a tonality, I suppose. And fortunately, um, John and I, who had never met, got on very well from day one. And to this day, you can see, obviously, still consult before we appear on these things about our eyewear, so that we uh, <laughs> so that we match. Um, so that so that that was uh, a relationship. In fact, I would say about the whole production, it was um, it was a production full of really uh, great, uh, fruitful relationships. Um, you know, it, it, all the work together was constructive. Um, and everybody seemed to be aimed at what they wanted the show to be. And I think that's one of the reasons why it's so successful, because everybody was on board about what the show was going to be. Definitely. And and in talking a little bit more about the directing as well, John, um, you know, this this isn't something where all of a sudden there's a monumental visual shift in the story at any point, but yet we are tracking the story over the course of several years and the arcs of all these different characters in different ways. And 
Um, so what were a lot of the elements for you that went into the the visual telling of some of a story that's constantly shifting and constantly changing in terms of time period? Because, you know, sometimes it's details like Matthew's hair shifting and changing. It's the costumes that Sheila's wearing or all of a sudden Barbara is wearing slightly brighter colors later on as she's taking on more autonomy and having a voice in her marriage or even just the details of the items and objects that we're seeing in people's homes that gradually shift and change. And so how did you want to find those small nuances to really reflect that? That without ever making the audience feel like they're being completely pulled out and brought into a different visual aesthetic. Yeah, I mean, like everything, it's conversations at the very beginning. Yeah, whether it's conversations with, you know, with, with, with John Preston about the script, or then once you hire your heads of department, it's it's you know talking about getting all them on the same page. You know, it's very important for them all to be working on the same show because often you you, you can. If you don't keep your eye on that, you're you're sort of responsible for for keeping all those plates spinning and all those different departments working on the same, you know, working on the same page. So the hair and makeup and the costume are aligned, or or particularly with the costume designer and the and the production designer, it's very important for them, you know, to have the same palettes and stuff. So so and and you get your you know you 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 put it, you literally put it on the wall. Uh, you, you see your film or or series uh, unfolding on a wall and you and you you, you know you, you you just you you step back and look at it and you just make little tweaks here and there and then the actors come on board and as Kevin said it's about the tone and it's about keeping the same tone all the way through I think that's something that I'm very proud that we did um is we 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 kept the tone uh we set that up very clearly from the very opening shot yeah, from him walking through uh, the hotel in Miami right through. And I think one of the big things for me was the music. You know, I keep going back to the music. I think Rolf, who had worked previously with before, I knew he was absolutely the perfect person for this uh, show because he got the... Because this is not an out-and-out -out comedy and it's, and it's not an out-and-out -out drama as well. It definitely has that elements of both. And it's difficult to do that. It's difficult to get that tone, whether it's in the writing or whether it's in the performance or the music. Um, so it's keeping everybody on the same page and, and and making sure, you know, that if you want them to to cry at the end um, or feel anything for for this absurd person, you have to make them laugh first. You know, and I think that's a that's something I learned a while ago is if you want to make him cry, you, you, you definitely have to take him on a journey and make him laugh first, you know, and and and, and buy into this guy, this 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 absurd behavior, you know. So again, that's just part of your job as a director is, is to keep everybody working to the same goal. And and if anybody's, you know, whether it's an actor or whether it's a it's a member of crew or or whatever they're if, if they're going off on their own path, it's about pulling them back into the to the family, you know, that's your job. I must add, just add to that that one of the the things that helped me after even the discussions about tone and stuff was my first scene with Matthew was um was I think when I interviewed him about being a Czech spy and I noticed the way he very comically kept looking at the guy standing behind him mm -hmm. and I sort of said to myself oh this is the show we're doing okay yeah I, you know what I mean so I yeah, sort of, yeah. it was a great it this was is a very broad um, performance yeah, no, I, yeah. sort of, I see double takes are allowed it's okay that's good yeah, um, yeah, yeah. so we'll go with that so and you know and he'd been working on the show uh, before me so you know I you know I'm following the tone of of, of the people around me yeah it's the famous it's the old yeah, adage of 
style style is knowing what show you're in yes that's a great phrase yeah (laughs) you know and and that and that's john baird you know it's his great skill is galvanizing everybody and transmitting that to everybody so you know where you are and so everyone relaxes and feels safe and can do their jobs and you know everybody so um do you know what just picking up on that matthew thanks just picking up on that one of the things that that i think we did in this show more than anything i've done in the past was um and this is something I've learned in my career as I've gone through is 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 really trusting your 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 heads of department, really trust your actors, really trust everybody, and don't think because you are have the director in your trailer that that you should have all the answers all the time. Um, you know, uh, you, you know, give them autonomy. Uh, give ask them for te- you know, number ten volume in in terms of performance or in terms of costume design or, or or something and come at me with your most radical idea and then we can always we can always pull it back to number seven if needs be or number eight or it's very difficult if you if you if you try and go safe at number five and then you have to build on top of this so that was something yeah. about, and but Matthew your, your number one in the call sheet always sets the tone of not necessarily the acting tone is but the tone of the production right so if, if if he or she turns up and is respectful and happy and enthusiastic and fun and professional everything else comes from that because my behavior will you know, if i don't have to worry about him or her you know and it's happened in the past where i've had to worry about that and it's affected everything so a lot of this goes to Matthew in terms of not just what he's doing on screen, but what the example he's shown to everybody. And then everybody just feeds into that crew cast the whole lot, you know. I love that. And yeah. and Matthew as well, and kind of speaking a little bit about the the dynamic for Stonehouse with, with Sheila and with Barbara, I love the scenes where we start to get to see the three of them all together in the same room, because there's such an undercurrent of all the things going on that are never able to be said out loud. And yet there's constant dialogue between these three characters that you can see in the, the nuances. And so for you, what did you find to be some of the aspects at play for him in that moment where he has his wife and he has his mistress and they're all physically in the same space and he's kind of trying to please both of them in different ways and and also just the connection and intimacy that he has with each of them is very different yeah it is it's fascinating it was just they're just i just wanted more to do i i love those <laughs> scenes in australia so much especially the, like the the picnic ones and the ones in the you know in the sort of safe house they're just excruciating uh and really funny and he's terrible you know he's just just determined so that everything's going to be okay you know it's just sort of ridiculous um but yeah really fun really fun the the other thing so just just that that was was the scene i was going to talk about and we you know we decided not to cut till very very late in that scene and if you look at that scene there's just one really slow push in on stonehouse through the whole thing (laughs) And it makes it so much more excruciating because you're not giving him a chance to to hide anywhere. The camera's not giving him a chance to hide. Everything is on him. So you're 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 picking as, as the camera moves in slower. You're picking up just how how dreadful this guy has has gotten him. You know, the dreadful right on the edge of breaking all the way <laughs> of of cracking up. Just on the just sort of blessing with the the abyss. <laughs> 
of irretrievable giggles. <laughs> and and Emer, you know, I mean that that's a totally different dynamic from the very first time that Sheila meets Barbara. Um, and I love a detail that you've you've mentioned about how the first time that she meets Barbara, that for you, you felt like she knew that that was going to be the situation going into that, and so she's very much dressed for it, prepared for it, you know, and and kind of is in a very specific emotional space to that. And so, what did you want the difference to be the first time that she's going in, meeting the wife, knowing everything that she knows about their relationship that's going on, versus a scene like that later on when you know she's pretty aware that the wife knows at that point. Yeah, I think it was actually Guy, um, our amazing costume designer. That was his idea. He was like, I think that Sheila's planned this outfit. She knows that she's about to meet Barbara. She's going to put her best dress on. Um, and I suppose she's kind of like in a, in a great place at that point. And then by the time they get to the safe house, it's just awful. Like both women are just like, what is going on? Why, <laughs> why are we all here eating sausage rolls and talking about Weetabix? Um, and I think you can see, like Matthew was saying, you can see everything's just on the verge of cracking. Um, so uh, yeah, it was, and just playing all of those scenes was so fun. I think like Healy can do so much with just one kind of like hard stare. So yeah, it was just, yeah, so much fun. With, with actually, writing, sorry. There's a, there's, a, there's a compilation on Twitter that I've seen of Barbara Stonehouse's, well, Keeley's, um, looks, yeah? <laughs> and it is priceless, yeah? It is, I mean, oh. it is, she is incredible. Her comedy time is incredible, you know? And, uh, yeah, if you haven't seen it, I'll have to send it to you. Withering looks. <laughs> Yeah. Withering, that's the word. <laughs> yeah. I'll it's definitely be looking scary. that up. <laughs> you know, and, and speaking of the the writing of a, a moment like that, John, I wanted to ask you about that because it's it's just as much writing what's on the surface as it is writing this entire subtext into the characters in terms of what they're saying out loud versus the dialogue that's really happening between them silently. And so, what are the intricacies that come with trying to put that together on the page? Well, of course, one of the great things was having Matthew and Keeley. And I, when I first started writing it, I don't think I knew that either Matthew or Keeley was going to be doing it. Then I, as far as I remember, I went <laughs> when I did find out they were doing it, I went and kind of rewrote it a bit because I thought, well, what's so great is that you and both of them are so fantastic at where are kind of projecting one emotion and then you can see this kind of backdrop of other emotions behind it um so that kind of ability to play with those layers gives you a lot of kind of comic potential um and particularly if your main character in the case of john stonehouse really really doesn't know what he's doing but at the same time is convinced that whatever he is doing, he can get away with it. And and lastly, Matthew, one of the scenes that you've mentioned that was was quite difficult to shoot to shoot and quite challenging was the scene where he's saying goodbye to his wife and he's saying goodbye to his kids. And as far as they're aware, he's going on a trip for a few days and he'll be back. But he obviously knows everything planned out at that point. And so, how did you find the emotional landscape of where you felt he was at in a scene like that and a moment like that, with the fact that he knows the truth of what's about to happen? Yeah, it's very poignant that scene. Yeah, strange and and 
again, bizarre, you know, he's, uh, he, he really, he's saying goodbye to his wife and kids. I mean, as far as he knows, that's it. I don't know. I sort of, I think by that point, he'd got into such a state, he really, I don't know how, I don't know. I don't know. It was an odd thing. To, it was an odd scene to play. Um, because he can't sort of let it, he can't let anything slip or show to them. But there is something odd and strange and removed about it. Um, yeah, strange. A lot of it was done on the on the the reverse angle where I walk away. I think I sort of let it drop a little bit. Maybe John and I. I remember John John Baird and I were talking about that. And um, yeah, strange, bizarre, destructive thing to do. Yeah, no, it's it's definitely a very poignant scene. And there's so many wonderful scenes and so many uh, details in the way that this story has been told over just a few episodes. So congratulations on everything with the series to all of you. And thank you so much for sharing your time and talking about this today. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you.